Well, welcome back, victims, to another episode of the BNA podcast. Uh, we're getting a little bit better at this every week. Just a little. Just a little. I <laughs> Baby still, steps. I totally tanked uh, last week, technically. Again, we stopped recording, and then when I re-recorded the ending segment, one of the microphones was muted. So we'll probably readdress that at some point, but for now, you're just going to get a completely screwed up two-thirds version of last week's, uh, which is just makes it funny because um, between the two of us, I'm the one doing the recording and putting it together part, and Jay's the one that knows how. So it's, uh, <laughs> but Jay's doing like six a week already. Yeah, it's pretty just much. not rational to put it on his plate, but... Yeah. Uh, but there's not, you know, it's really, we were just sitting here, and I guess we should start with, hi, I'm Brian, good morning. Hi, I'm Jay. Nice to see you. CJ really is here. Yes. And, uh, God, it was it, it was one of the busiest weeks in Nashville in a long time. Right. We had more visitors here. There were more private jets landing. We had Air Force One and Joe Biden's plane coming in. They fly right over it our neighborhood. It must have been the debate. And I saw the C-17 cargo plane come in the day before the debate, which mm-hmm. was more fun for me. I saw yeah. Air Force One when I was that by C-17 the airport. That C-17 was something. It's really a big plane. <laughs> so bringing in the the motorcade and all that stuff. and Well, we're under the landing pattern anyway. Yes. And so that sucker's so big, it looks like it's only about 20 feet above. Yeah, and it rattled the windows <laughs> yeah. of the houses. The, the reason I saw it, because people be like, I don't just stand in the front yard and watch the planes go by, but this one you couldn't miss. Yeah. Uh, and but the funny thing was there was all this activity in Nashville this week and really very little happened in Nashville this week because I scour the news looking for Nashville right, things no. I follow Nashville Twitter right. and nothing happened well I mean I think we are so consumed with sort of the national narrative at this point that it's uh, hard to focus a lot on local issues. Of course, there is the local issue of the the tax increase yeah. and the possible referendum, but uh, that's about it. Uh, there, there's some stuff going on related to Nashville uh, Bordeaux Hospital that was uh, privatized by one administration and then... Uh, now is they're trying to decide. Well, we're we just going to get rid of the facility, and it's a long, long story. Which one is that one? That's uh, it's the. Is uh, that the Bordeaux Hospital that's in Bordeaux? It's the Bordeaux Hospital that's in Bordeaux. Got it. Okay. And it's I it's a long term it's a long term care facility. It was the okay. long term care facility for indigent folks that was run by the city, and then a previous mayor who will go na- unnamed, we, uh, decided. Isn't that well, a shame, though? What you think they would have named him? Yeah, well, unfortunately, uh, I can give the name, but I won't. Anyway. Can you uh, give his initials? Uh, Carlding? Yeah, that would be it. Okay. So anyway, they decided they were going to privatize it. But it was a typical Nashville privatization deal right. where they uh, brought in a company to run the facility and do the work. But we still held the title on the property. And when the property started falling apart, we were responsible to pay for it. We have a jail like that. We have a jail like that. Yeah. So uh, all of that is to say there's some stuff going on about that that's going to be hitting the press here fairly soon. But we'll see what happens. That's interesting because I, I mentioned that we have a jail like that because our men's um, processing in local, I don't know, whatever it's called, the detention and something facility on mm-hmm. Harding was run by uh, the incredibly poorly named Core Civic uh, for the last many years under a long-term contract. And when city council met several months ago and said they were going to take that contract, well, there, there was a big kerfluffle about the contract, right? I mean, right. nobody likes Core Civic. If there's any one thing in America, if, like if you are on your deathbed and you're granted one wish, mm-hmm. 
the dissolution of Core Civic would be an awesome gift back to your planet. So you want you want some history on Core Civic? Oh yeah, because I love the fact that it actually had a real name before Core Civic. So uh, and this is very close to my heart because my mom was actually part of the founding team that founded the Corrections Corporation of America. Corrections Corporation of America. Come and, on. And and <laughs> a little context. I'm to to do a little, uh, not yelling and screaming at them, even though I do that enough. Yes. Uh, back in the. 80s when they were forming this um, Tennessee was under a court order about um, the, just the horrible nature of corrections of, of the prisons and uh, a lot of states were under court orders because they were just not treating people very no, they well were really bad. they were really bad yeah. and so honestly there were some folks that worked in the corrections industry that worked for the states who basically said you know we can do this better if we privatize it if we're not under the you know the governor's thumb and all that kind of stuff and that they as idealists they actually had a pretty good goal the problem was is it's hard to mix governmental functions and business and profit motive and so over time uh, it became more and more oppressive and then particularly when they got in the uh, immigration uh, business in terms of detention a lot of money in that money detention, in detention business. business and so uh, actually one of the most notorious of their facilities is the don hutto facility right. down in i think texas or somewhere down in that yeah. somewhere down in i'm pretty West. sure it is in texas yeah and uh, don hutto was my mom's first boss okay. so yeah so all of that's to say uh court, so they named the child cages so, after so, your mom's first boss yeah, yes. <laughs> exactly uh corrections corporation a few years back uh, was starting to be attacked about their business. And so they decided that they would change their name to Core Civic <laughs> and become sort of a real estate trust, which yeah. I fully don't understand that whole business. And so, um, so that's, but they basically run prisons and they jails. They run prisons. It's like, so Core, Core Civic was running like the men's detention facility here. And when they were confronted with the possibility of having to renegotiate the contract or come up with a whole bunch of solutions that they had no intention of coming up with or dealing with a bunch of problems here, um, they just said, no, we quit. Right. And they literally gave them like 30 days and yeah. walked off the job and said, it's all yours, big fella, and left it to the city. Now, listen, as we've said before, I'm a lifelong conservative type and Jay, not so much. And... I have always, you know, privatization is one of those faux conservative right. things. Privatization is is a Republican thing, not a conservative thing. No, that's exactly A conservative right. would say our government has to provide certain basic functions. Jailing and housing inmates would be one of those basic functions in almost every measure, yeah. right? And the problem was when you try to privatize that, if you do the presentation to the board of directors, you can say, the state of Tennessee spends $6,186 per month on each prisoner that is housed. For that amount of money, we can do it for $4,444, thus making a profit mm -hmm. of $2,000 per month per prisoner, blah, blah, blah. Everybody's in. The... Then what happens is, of course, it's a prison. Right. It is a state institution. It has to continue to operate under the monopoly of the state by the state rules and all these things. And then there's that pesky ass constitution that says you can't be cruel and inhumane. 
All these things come, and they keep eating away at the damn profit. Yeah, they do. It's, it's just terrible. So the, what do you do? I mean, you what do you do when you've got nutrition? a business that profits off of putting more people in jail? Some right, folks would say privatization, in a, in addition to the laws that Biden and Clinton passed, and right. I, I, you know, I'm I know a we got to take that one, yeah. But but <laughs> um, you know, have led to this mass incarceration issue that we have right now. But when there's an incentive to actually have more people in jail because yeah. we make money off of it. That's a problem. That's when the proper role of government must be readdressed, <laughs> right? You have to look at it and say, you know, to me, the proper role of government is to look at the prison system and say, the less people we have in there, the better. Yeah. Then we only keep the people in, in these boxes of death that are a danger to others. Uh, and the rest we deal with some other way, you know, so, whatever it may be. In my case, it's like, I, you know, it's like I... I have a million ideas on it, but the fact is that privatization of certain functions of government are are nonsensical and are destined to fail from the outset. But people that are not economic conservatives and thought leaders, just Republicans, think it's a great idea to privatize everything because then a guy like Bill Lee can have eighteen million dollars a year worth of contracts with the state right. of Tennessee. Yeah, um, you know, actually, it's it's an interesting. You bring up an interesting philosophical point, which goes way off the weeds on this podcast, oh, but that's okay. Which is this, but it, it relates to my sermon on Sunday. So this is why I'm Excellent. thinking about nice it. Excellent, nice tie-in. Yeah, so, um, this and, podcast and you can find you. it at cityroadchapel.org. Right. City <laughs> so, uh, but we my a sermon, sponsor. But I was dealing with Paul's um, teaching on Romans, in Romans 13, where he talks about being subject to governmental authorities. Right. And as a good radical, I, it makes me a little uncomfortable at times. But one of the things that, it kind of hit me is that there's been this movement in the Republican end of the world to talk about, well, we need to get rid of government, that we don't right. need to have government, that we need to have less government. And part of what Paul was saying was, and, and what I try to argue is, the issue is not whether we have government or not. Paul wouldn't believe that government was set up by God uh, as right, a way right. to order society. If sure. you don't have government, you've got anarchy. And so the issue is not whether we have more or less government. The issue is, do we have good or bad government? And Right. And that's where I think we differ, um, or not you and I, but I think the world differs uh, about what does good government look like. Right. Um, and like you said, there are certain functions that government should do. I think it's wrong for a private entity to be charged with carrying out the work of corrections Correct. of uh, for folks, that that's a state function. It should be literally constitutionally impossible right. to profit from additional incarceration because it's not the goal of the Constitution to incarcerate. No. Right? The goal no. of the Constitution, as a constitutional conservative type guy, is to give people liberty. Right. And liberty rarely comes at the hands of a multi-billion dollar corporation that has lobbyists on K Street in Washington, D.C., trying their best to create more profitable bills, regulations, and um, and guidance from the federal government on how to make more money by incarcerating people. I think what we're seeing go on right now in our country and in our city, in, in the Black Lives Matter movement, et cetera, is partially attributable to the privatization of this process. If you right. privatize it, it's going to grow because we operate in economics again. Another thing I talk about on my other in my other world is the myth of growth. Right. And there's nothing in the readings of the economists that created economics, which is not like something that happened uh, 
you know, via divine inspiration. It was actually created in 1917-ish. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. it's the first time we'd ever called it that. Right. And uh, it was all about, huh, how is this working? We're supposed to be looking backwards. Um, in economics, right, that's, it doesn't, there's no mention really of growth. Well, you know, this issue about constitutional constitutionality and freedom is, I like to believe that our founders, of course, who knows what, our founders were all over the map. So, yeah. um, you know, just understand that there were all sorts of uh, agendas going on. But I always like to think that they hold intention, freedom with corporate responsibility. Yes. And I go back to Adam Smith, kind of the founder of capitalism. See, I'm over and, here quoting Keynes. Yeah, well, I, and, and you're I'm quoting Smith. Smith. This is a hell of a day. <laughs> this is a wild day. But, <laughs> 20 people. Adam Smith was a moral philosopher, and his articulation of capitalism basically always assumed that there would be a concern for the common good, that that capitalism without a concern for the common good is morally bereft. And so part of what I think we struggle with is that we moved, particularly under Milton Friedman and other folks, of this idea of profit without really any concern for the good. The, the total, so, the, the sole reason for a corporation exists is to make profit absolutely and and without any relationship to com- the the broader community and it brought several things and this would be fun because this is how conversation in government used to occur and should occur more often and there, i know we're talking about nashville but nashville is a a blue dot in a sea of red in the state of tennessee so Working on both sides of the economic conversation is always true, but to go all the way back to John Maynard Keynes, who had said in like 1914 when he was a professor that this exercise in free markets could only continue to exist as long as the lowest working class... Mm-hmm. could have, you know, like uh, a a wonderful life, a vacation at the beach each year, and, uh, you know, well, and have a quality life. And because it's a scam, right? I mean, well, it's, I mean, it is, it's a pyramid scheme. And, and one of the great corporate fathers, Henry Ford understood Absolutely. that, you know, we're going to do this, we're going to make it cheap so that my workers can can buy one. They can have a car. They can right? have a car. They can and they drive can... to see their family and they can go on vacation. And And when you create that way of life, mm-hmm. then for the 1%, which have always existed and will always exist, um, the it's okay. Right. Like nobody's mad at people that create value and get really rich. Right. What we're suffering from right now is people that don't create value are sucking all the money out of the economy. So, so we probably um, ought to go back to talking about jails. Well, here's the thing. So we could, you and I can go about civic philosophy. Thing, yeah. Exactly. And we will do, and we will. So this, just, in upcoming, you know, we'll, we'll do just it get ready bits. for it. We'll get it in little bits. But uh, after the election, we'll have a long uh, half an hour of just talking about what does this all mean? Because we're either going to be, my sister-in-law owns a place in Ecuador. I've got my eye on that. <laughs> yeah, the, uh, exactly. <laughs> I'm keeping an open we mind. We may be coming with you. And my, uh, my wife is a Canadian citizen. So we have options. Yes. So Yeah, y'all could, well, we she just, could get across the border. I don't know if you I could. I can go. Okay. Um, but it's complicated. She'd have, you know, there's, there's stuff that has to happen. So exactly. anyhow, back to the jail thing, right? So the jail is an issue. Privatization is an issue. And we're looking at a budget crisis in Nashville um, caused not, I mean, arguably part of it's been caused by privatization mm-hmm. and reduced regulation. Right. The reality is we're a city. We're not a federal government. We can't print money. We have to borrow money to do things. So we 
have to be responsible fiscally. Can you imagine if we printed money with John John's uh, picture oh on it? Oh my God! It would be little bitty bills. <laughs> the uh, the uh, <laughs> little, his whole uh, body yeah. would fit in the same spot as George Washington's head. It would. But um, I know he's diminutive. George, just having George fun. George Washington John. was a tall guy, though. So let's give him. Yeah, you know. and I mean maybe or maybe not. He might have had wooden teeth. Yeah. Um, but anyhow, it's true that. There's absolutely nothing going on in the city of Nashville, and yet, look, we could talk for 10, 15 minutes just about Core Civic taking over the thing. How well, did we even start on that? I'm not sure, but the... Because uh, we were talking about the tax levy being thrown out. Well, I think that was part of it, is how the tax levy also then is affected by this movement to us having to take over the jail again. Right. Uh, what I should say, though, um, is that... There had been plans. I mean, uh, one of the things I get a little frustrated with our sheriff, and who I actually like, Darren Hall's been a pretty decent sheriff, um, but he was saying privately years ago that he was prepared to take over the jail, that he right. that that the movement for that could happen. I think what happened is that CoreCivic basically just said, we're done with people um, attacking us, and we're just going to not care about Davidson County since we've moved to Brentwood. And, and uh, it's not their biggest client. No, it's not. Yeah. And so uh, it just happened really quickly. It really happened quickly. And they made a good point. But, you know, by their toddler-esque response right. to the city council, I think we have taken back an important part of our responsibility as a metro government. So I'm, I'm glad it happened. And hopefully with a new police chief coming in, the city taking control of the jails, maybe get some budget relief from that. Mm -hmm. uh, and people are actually talking to the oversight committee right. Uh, right now. Some things that have needed to happen here. It's like we voted on them. Mm -hmm. We have instituted them. We have elected a council and they've said some things. And, it, you know, it's time that we did them, mm -hmm. even if we don't like some of them in retrospect. Right. Let's do it. Let's test it. Let's iterate if we need to. Right. But I think we're maybe on a pretty good track right now. We can certainly hope. Uh, well, so it's, it's really funny because here we uh, we sort of started the podcast today thinking there's not really anything going on in Nashville, but the reality is there's always something going on in Nashville. A couple of things came up this morning in reading the news. One is that, uh, and pardon me if I am a little tickled by this, but the Fox News private jet that flew in and out of Nashville for the debates right. uh, had COVID on it and they're all having to isolate oh. and test. <laughs> I know. It's like, it's like, it's impossible to care I about I will lift up prayers for them today. Exactly. Including the president of Fox uh, right. Media News, something, right. I don't know what his name is. But anyhow, there's, and Brett Baer is in isolation and recording from home and stuff yeah, like good. that. So things are happening there, which is funny. Then, of course, unlike the, our vice president, our vice president still going out doing everything they did finally yesterday implement some covid protocols for the vice president's travel he's not mm -hmm. doing he, he was until yesterday going to go ahead and do the sh handshaking line thing and all that kind of crap exactly. so they finally got rid of all that stuff um and then nashville tennessee has been i mean i was downtown this weekend a couple of times on at different times of the day and i mean it was the lines to get into the bars are two blocks long Every 10th person is wearing a mask. And 
it's just going to be another one. You know, we're seeing the outside counties. It's like we talked about last week. It's like none of this stuff affects Nashville. It's yeah. like they just carry it back home to you right. guys. And friends, if you live outside of Nashville, if there's anybody in the world living outside of Nashville, the bars downtown really aren't that great. No, there are many you, better ones. You, you know, there are many better ones. And you're going to pay eight bucks for a PBR right. when you can get that for four anywhere out in the county. So Matter spread fact, the this portion, this portion of the podcast is brought to you by D's. D's Country Cocktail. <laughs> Lounge in Come Madison, on. Tennessee. Come on over. Uh, for live music, friendship, hey, and you see community. That, yeah. Did you see that uh, Amy D and Steve Smith were on this BBC oh, uh, no. thing about the COVID, the response of the COVID? Really? Steve Smith just kind of railed. Just, yeah. He made no sense whatsoever. Well, he does, just and then Amy yeah. was very articulate. Right? She's a very articulate person. She is. And, and runs a beautiful establishment that people love. Exactly. Uh, although, quite and we honestly, are not sponsored by D's We are country. not. No. We are not. The, uh, but never, if she wants to give us some money, we'll I'll be honest, it. they've never, ever, ever even even bought me a beer they have not well they have bought me well that's different you drink yeah well that's true so um i bet i could talk it yeah, this, talk you around this is Coke. really confusing because like i'm supposedly i know liberal, but it's like it's like I'm the, and i'm well, the pastor the and i drink and you don't the I mean, pastor the pastor when he drinks has a drink or two the yeah. brian when he drinks has 32 therefore brian doesn't drink anymore uh, it's uh, it's excellent. It's I'll, really I'll, it's a good call. I'm I'll never you. For, never forget <laughs> our a common friend that we have a Canadian lady that we know. Yes. Um, who uh, I once said, you know, if you weren't in recovery, I'd buy you a beer. And she said, yeah, but you'd have to buy seven, and then I'd throw up on your shoes. Right. Like, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Which is exactly the problem. Yeah. Uh, That's it's, another. It's issue. really crazy here right now, though. I got to tell you, it's the the COVID fatigue. In cities where, like Nashville, the joke about Nashville is that it's a drinking town with a music problem. Yeah. And, you know, it seems to me, as best I can tell, there are two kinds of people in the world. There are sober people that drink socially, casually, comfortably, and wear a mask. And then there are raving, insane, drunk rednecks that will not do any of those things. Right. And, man, it's, it is really hard. Um, I look at... I just at this point I just don't have much in the way of empathy for people that are throwing themselves into the midst of it, you know. Right. Uh, and I don't know how to feel about it, right? It's like Nashville once again hospitalizations are up, the state of Tennessee deaths are going up, and of course Bill Lee is going like I reckon everybody's going to behave real good while he and his wife are in quarantine and we're not even able to meet the president at the right. Air Force 1, right. which you know. Oh, Bill yeah. Lee. Yeah. Ran for governor. So that one day he could stand at B&A right. at, at Nashville, Barry Field, um, and greet the President of the United States as he got off Air Force One. And he couldn't even do that because he has COVID, and so does his wife, and they have to hide out, which right. he did, by the way, on his social media. He posted a picture of him doing his two weeks in a deer stand. Yeah. Great well, that, photo. That's a nice picture. Yeah. So, I mean, here's the deal. We uh, Announcement this morning, Nashville's averaging between 200 and 300 new cases a day, which is back at the level we were at in July. We are currently in the phase three of the reopening status, which is the of the four phases we have, the most... Um, uh, most lenient until we kind of open up the world again. Um, and uh, although the numbers are um, what they were in the past, in July, it doesn't look like we're going to go backwards uh, at this point in terms of our um, 
we're not going to go back to phase two, as right. the mayor no said. Way. Even though of the eight metrics we have, one, two, three, four, five of them are considered problematic. Right. So is the mayor right in not going back to phase two? Or? Oh God, it's hard to say. Um, you know, we've learned so much about COVID and spread and all that kind of stuff. I, was, I read an article in the New York Times. I, I, I should look before I say that. I think it was in the New York Times, but mm-hmm. it was not in some bastion of conservatism about the fact that it seems that putting elementary kids back in school is simply not spreading the virus very right. badly. Although in Nashville, we've had to stop opening middle schools. They were going to open this week. Right. That was scrapped because 45, uh, there were like 45 cases active in in the elementary schools with 400 quarantines mm-hmm. right now. Now, we're a big school district, so that's right. not like devastating, but but it's still a bunch, right? Yeah. And the we're going into the winter. I just think we're asking for trouble. Now, are we going to go back to lockdown? Absolutely not. I don't see no. any way. I mean, Mayor Cooper might honestly, in the state of Tennessee, get shot at if he tried to do something I'm like that. I'm surprised he hadn't been shot at. I yeah. mean, too. I mean, it's, you know, it's just how he's a little guy. He's hard yeah. to hit. True. Got to get really close. <laughs> we, but, yeah. we probably should make stop making yeah, diminutive jokes. But it's but, fun. You know, come on. Yeah, it's, come it's on. Fun. Well, just don't both, wear brown one, shoes with a gray suit. You won't look so I mean, short. Both wear of us are kind of high challenge. Yeah, too. I'm not. Yeah, there's nobody so. here. I I've never dunked a basketball. Yeah, exactly, and no. I never will. New. So we're not going to go back to that. We are seeing some challenges. The rural hospitals are seeing some real challenges. Right. And um, that's where the metric now seems like everybody, and rightly so, by the way, should be focused. I mm-hmm. do think testing is less of an indicator today mm-hmm. than it was six months ago because right. I was not able to get a test six months ago. Right. I've now been tested twice mm-hmm. in this month Right. Me too. at the local, right? right? So I can drive through there tomorrow mm-hmm. and get tested and have my results in 30 minutes. So I do know that because of a proper expansion of testing, our sheer volume of numbers is going to go up. Well, you know, what's interesting about that is... Uh, as a metric that we don't have is the number of people seeking tests. There was a period in August and September where the testing demand went down pretty significantly. And then here lately, you know, it's like the, our local testing facility where they were accepting drive-in tests. And then all of a sudden they were, they were like, no, we can't do that. We've got to set an appointment because the, the number of folks seeking tests is really increased. That caught me off guard. So I think, yeah, me too. Um, So I think that there's, there are a number of ways of looking at that. You know, I think what the mayor is saying, what his, his health officials are, are basically telling him is, Closing down is probably a no-win. Um, if folks will wear masks, we can kind of keep this under control. That's still a big if. Yeah. And uh, so what he might do is he might do more enforcement on mask on the mask mandate. Uh, he has but, deputized more officers, as it were. And, and by that means like health department officials. And I think, you know, my Which sense of going to grocery stores and things like that, I'm seeing a lot more folks wear masks. I think it helps when the businesses enforce it, you know. It, That's a big issue. And it's, it was really, and it still is occasionally troublesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're listening to this anywhere other than a southern state, uh, you may not be used to people coming in, not wearing a mask and spitting on people in order to prove that there's no such thing as the COVID. And it was invented by the Chinese government to oust Donald Trump from office because, hey, that's what we do. And that's what Q Uh, says. (laughs) Right, exactly. Mm -hmm. So we got plenty of QAnoners here. But 
it is, you know, there is an actual, it's the anti-mask movement that is so dangerous. And, right. Um, yes, the governor has put out, spent, by the way, millions of dollars, it seems, on an ad campaign to get people to wear their mask. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really funny how my hardcore Republican, and remember, Republican and conservative are not the same thing. Right. My Republican friends are all like, well, you know, he has to do that. Right. And I'm like, well, Why? So that the Chinese will like him? I don't understand. Why yeah. does he didn't have to do anything? He's the governor of the state of Tennessee. The, right. The, the, the president's certainly not making him do an ad no, campaign no, no. for masks. No. Uh, so, that matter of fact, the, the current United States administration, President Donald Trump and his White House, mm-hmm. directed the governor of Tennessee to implement a statewide mask mandate. Yes. The governor of Tennessee said, no, thank you. Right. He doesn't speak proper English, but he said, well, no, thank you. Well, and so yeah. he justified them because he knows he can't do it. Right. You know, you could be executed for such a thing in this state. So that's not going to happen. Um, I do like the encouragement that's going on. It's really difficult for companies and stores and retail establishments to enforce it because the people that won't do it are so unstable mentally that when you tell somebody that's an anti-masker to wear a mask, it's really, their response is dramatically out of proportion to the request. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, we, we at our church, and we've only been open a couple of weeks now because uh, we were waiting till phase three hit, um, we have required masks. And we've been very clear with folks that are coming, if you're coming, have a mask. Right. If somebody shows up at the door without a mask, we hand them one. Have this one. Have yes. this one. We I have, have a two. supply of masks that we would be willing for you to use. Um, so we make it possible for them to do it. Um, so far, we've not had any problems with that. Yeah. It's been pretty clear. Now, I will say we had a couple funerals for which there were problems with right. that. And it's really difficult in the midst of a funeral to say, hey, guys, yeah. Uh, yeah. sorry you're Sorry you're dead, Dad. Get the hell out of here yeah. if you can't wear a mask. Exactly. Yeah. That's yeah. a tough that's sentence a to put tough, together at church. It yeah. doesn't work real well. Yeah. But um, Wrong venue. But, yeah, I mean, but, you know, the norm... The place where it's really a problem is the family gatherings. Absolutely. And and that's where we've seen clusters. We've seen some, some uh, movement. And it's really hard. I mean, we're coming up on Thanksgiving and Christmas. Uh, you know, I know with my own family, it lives over in Murfreesboro. I love them to death. They're planning the big, you know, family Thanksgiving dinner. Yep. But I, I don't think going. we can go. You <laughs> no, know, it's no. uh, it's um, not. You know what? It's just not nice to go right now. Like, we're going to have to just stay with our our unit uh, that is around us, which <laughs> right now is substantial. But one of my sons is leaving to go back home soon. Yes. But. But still, it's going to have to be whoever's in our cluster of people that have to interact on a daily basis will be allowed to participate in those things. And otherwise, right. we're going to keep it separated. Um, and we're running out of time, and I promise we're going to be on time this week. And the reason I say that is because we've now talked for a half an hour mm-hmm. during the week of the presidential debate in Nashville, Tennessee. And not talked about the debate. And not talked about it. That's because I didn't watch it. Well, right. And how come? I didn't watch it because the first one was so, so bad. bad. 
that yeah. and this I, one wasn't I, as bad i couldn't but you know and i and i you know i've seen a lot of coverage on it and all that yeah. but i just couldn't bring myself to at to put myself at risk yeah i mean i think that first debate was so damaging yeah in terms of the national psyche that i i and and clearly in terms of the polls it yeah. didn't, <laughs> didn't did go, go well, well. No. um so I, you know, I just couldn't quite bring myself to that. And I get it. I plus, will say this. I didn't watch it. I saw some of it when I got home. I was listening to it on the radio on my way home from downtown. And um, I will say this. I think it was a draw. Yeah. The Biden was not sharp. Right. He was. And one of the things about listening to it and not watching it, I wasn't paying attention to Trump making funny faces, mm-hmm. which I, of course, saw later. And right. when I got home, he would make, you know, those yeah. uh, incredulous like weird exactly. uh, Muppet faces that he makes. And uh, he was doing that thing when Biden was talking uh, and vice versa. Honestly, Joe was making those incredulous. I can't believe he mm-hmm. just said that face. And at this point, come on, it's he's been in office for four years. When Donald Trump says something that you can't believe Donald Trump said, that's on you at this point because right. he's going to say that. Um, and it was kind of a draw. It was disinteresting. Uh, I was deaf desperately disappointed that Joe Biden was not able to articulate his answers more thoroughly and gotcha. more directly. I think it's going to be super important for him right. to pull that together this week. Right. Uh, but honestly, I've been asking a question of all of the people I've encountered here in the last uh, two and a half, three weeks since I've been back out in the world a bit. And that is, so I've asked, I think 80 people was, I got it written down the car, but call it 80 people. Mm-hmm. And I've asked all of them one question. Mm-hmm. And as do you personally know any undecided voters? The answer is no. And the answer is no. Yeah. So we're talking about two candidates that are going to burn about $400 million this month. Right. That could be used. And honestly, maybe Biden should have done this. Uh, just kind of said, you know what? We were going to spend $200 million to change your mind this month. Right. Instead, we're just going to give it to feeding America's hungry or right. whatever. Get, make some just massive quarter of a billion dollar donation to right. a charity and say, you know, we're done campaigning. You've sure. made up your mind. We're just going to give the money to the poor. We raise more money than we need, you know. And uh, it it may not be effective. It may not be a good idea. But it would at least somebody to eat. Right. right. <laughs> right. Somebody might get a Thanksgiving meal exactly. they weren't going to get otherwise. Exactly. Um, but it was otherwise... Uh, a great event for Nashville right. because it, they paved Magnolia all the way from the interstate to Belmont just for the motorcades. Oh, cool. And that road right at the corner of 8th. Yeah, it needed work. We- I'm sorry, Wedgwood. Yeah. I yeah. said Magnolia at Wedgwood. Uh, I mean, oh, my God, it was terrible. Yeah. Right? So it's all fixed and it's fantastic. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Um, you know, one interesting thought about that. I, I was reading a story yesterday about how Belmont, you know, was crowing about being able to get this. And they wanted to call themselves Nashville's University. And I wondered what Vanderbilt thought about well, that. Well, they didn't do it. So Vanderbilt <laughs> must <laughs> I want to assume that the, uh, the fine leaders at Vanderbilt University might have indicated that, you know. Yeah, well, maybe that's not the right way to say it. They it, could probably get away with Music City's university. That would make sense, right? So, because um, they are for anybody that doesn't know Belmont, which is my alma mater. But I went to Belmont College, not Belmont University. Um, is the premier by far, like in size and scope, biggest music business college in the country? So, they, which may or may not be a good thing. Yeah, well, they do, unfortunately, graduate like 
2,000 more people with a degree in the music business a year than the music business can absorb. Exactly. <laughs> so, yeah. so a lot of people out there doing marketing for healthcare companies with a music business degree. Well, that makes sense. It's kind of a, similar. There's a million and ten things to talk about. There's uh, just a half an hour or so to do so, and uh, it was a lot of fun uh, hanging out again this week. Jay's got to go do a day job. And uh, I'm going to go try to get somebody a record deal at one o'clock. So work must be done. Cool. Well, I hope you succeed. I do too. That would be a lot of fun. We'll see you next time. Sometime in the next couple of weeks, we'll sit down again and record the BNA podcast with Brian and Jay. Have a great day. Bye bye. <laughs>